it's really less about calming people down and more about waking people up. In other words, giving people tools to help them live a happier, healthier life, a more complete life. Hey there, it's Bev. Welcome to the People at Work podcast. Uh, People at Work is brought to you by Jostle. And at Jostle, we are all about trying to simplify the working life of people at work. And so together with our intranet that we've created, uh, we also spend a lot of time thinking about what it is that actually improves the employee experience during their day at work. And what are things that are happening out in the world that can really inspire and help us create better workplaces. So I'm really delighted to be the host of today's episode and I'm going to be speaking with Steven Sokoler who is the founder and CEO of New York City based Journey Meditation and we're going to be talking about why meditation should be a key part of corporate culture. Stephen created Journey four years ago with a mission to help all people live happier, healthier lives through a supportive and inclusive global meditation community both online and offline. And Stephen also recently with his team launched Journey Live, which is the world's first live group meditation app that TechCrunch has coined as the Peloton for meditation. So welcome, Stephen. It sounds like you've been pretty busy the last little while. Thanks, Bev. Yeah, yeah, it's great to be here. And uh, yes, it's been, uh, it's been quite an interesting adventure over the last uh, four and a half, almost five years now. Amazing. Well, can you tell us a little bit about where did this idea come from and and how did you get started? Sure. So I very fortunately found myself living in Sydney, Australia. This is back in 2011. Um, I moved there to open an office for my company and I picked up a book on Buddhism and it really spoke to me and I started practicing meditation and it was transformational. And fast forward a few years later, I had moved back to New York. I had sold the business that I was running I had no idea what I wanted to do, but pretty quickly realized I wanted to do something that mattered, something that would make a difference in the world. And I thought meditation is both powerful and a little bit misunderstood. And I thought there were ways to bring it to people in a simple, approachable, secular way. I thought that would really uh, resonate and be able to help people. And so it was March of 2015, and that's when Journey was born. Awesome. And that that seems like quite the contradiction to bring a meditation practice into perhaps one of the busiest cities of the world. So how do you marry your, you know, your quest to bring calm um, with this background of of a really intense uh, city environment? Yeah. When I was living in Australia, people used to say, ah, New York, it's so full on. It's so full on. And I, I never knew that. I never really appreciated what that meant. Um, because as we, we talked about, I grew up in New York, I went to college in New York, um, and I remember standing there on Park Avenue, cars flying by, horns, smells, all types of stuff happening. And I was like, wow, really is full on. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just double click on one thing you said. For me, it's, it's really less about calming people down and more about waking people up. In other words, giving people tools to help them live a happier, healthier life a more complete life. So that may be tools to help them de-stress, whether at work or at home, but it may also be making them more present. So when they're sitting with their kids, they're really there with their kids. They're not thinking about work or vice versa. They're sitting at work and they're really there, not daydreaming and thinking about, you know, something else. And so for me, New York was home. And so that made sense. And I was fortunate. We put together uh, experts on the meditation side, on the science side, created this really simple but powerful program. 
and then took it to corporate America because that was the world that I'd come from. I had spent you know, over a decade working in, in, in that world. And so I knew there was real need there to be able to, to arm people with these tools to just live better lives. So how did you start in on that? I mean, I, I, I would imagine, um, you know, I know that meditation is, is becoming more commonplace and it is certainly part of our conversation and it's present in workplaces. But uh, I'm sure that even five years ago, it must have been a hard thing to put on the agenda for a CEO to take seriously as something that his people should be doing or that it should even be part of the culture that they are trying to nurture. So how did you start? Yeah, so we were fortunate uh, in that we kind of stood on the shoulders of, of giants in a lot of ways. Um, so one, the timing was very fortuitous. You started to have CEOs speaking about this and saying, you know, one of the secrets to my success is meditation. So that was one. You started to have science proving that meditation changes the brain. There's this concept of neuroplasticity and the brain can, you know, grow and, and change the same way we've obviously as a society come to understand that our muscles can grow and change. And so um, that was something that got people to start waking up to, to the idea that, hmm, this is actually very helpful for me. This is similar to physical fitness for my body. Mm -hmm. This is mental fitness, mental well-being uh, for my mind. And so the company is called Journey Meditation, but we called the program a stress management and mental well-being program. So while some people may want to meditate, some people may not want to meditate, everyone wants to live a happy, healthy life. Everyone wants to be able to better deal with, you know, the kind of challenges that go with uh, the human experience. So I think meeting people where they are physically, emotionally, spiritually made a big difference for us. Yeah, that's incredible. And you've seen some fairly impressive results over the time that you've been practicing this with your customers. So maybe can you tell us a little bit about the impact that you've seen and, and what that uh, has led you to believe about the, the real need um, and the importance of this in workplaces? Sure. Uh, so, you know, one of the beautiful things is that when we teach uh, at workplaces, now we also, as you mentioned, have this digital product, which I'm excited to talk about, but when we teach at workplaces, we're there with people. And so people come up after class and say, you know, this helped me so much in this way. I had this stressful situation with my daughter or my partner or my uh, son or husband or, or with myself and I, I forgave myself or I went, I was easier on myself or I noticed something I never noticed before. I didn't react the way I normally do. So you, you have that, you know, all those beautiful stories, but then we also measured it. So one part of the journey program uh, are business impact metrics. So we measure the success of the program on things like stress, sleep, quality of life, engagement at work, and we share those results anonymously uh, in aggregate with the, the corporation, with the company that's paying us. And so uh, across all Journey clients, participants reported a 10% increase in productivity, a 14% increase in focus, a 17% increase in quality of life, and a 20% reduction in stress. So really great numbers. And, and the nice thing is, I mentioned this sort of briefly before, there's so much other science that supports this, you know, studies out of Harvard and Stanford and Wake Forest. And we had both a clinical study at NYU and had another at Humana. Um, the one on Humana showed that participants in the journey program missed 51% less work in the month following the program versus the month prior. And so you think about that, about the mind-body connection, how helpful that that can be in, in strengthening that. So 
obviously there's um, there's tremendous need in the workplace, uh, both from individuals and for companies. All the studies have shown that people can be disengaged at work, and that has a, a hugely negative effect on on companies. Um, you know, n- not to mention the effect on the actual human beings themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, so being able to offer and provide programs like this uh, can be a, a, a real strategic advantage. Yeah, certainly. I, I definitely support that. And I bring a, a real whole person view of each individual that shows up in their place of work every day. And I think part of that is is looking at the person's mental well-being and mental state as well as the other things that are going on in their life. There's a whole lot that's happening inside that we don't see. And that's why spending time and money on things like a meditation practice is very helpful because it, it can only benefit a company and everyone that you're around. If you are a better person and a stronger person and a more mentally calm and alert and present person, I can only see that that can benefit those around you. But what does this actually look like in practice? So what, what would a program or a service look like that you offer to a typical customer? How do you bring this into the workplace? So the journey program has four parts to it. So the first are weekly live classes, and those are either done on-site or virtually. So we're on-site in 20 cities around the world. We also teach virtually everywhere where we don't want on-site, but the class is always live, 30 minutes, so it's bite-sized. That's one. Two is access to the journey live app. So you mentioned uh, the app before, so that allows people to continue their practice, meditate both with themselves or with others. Uh, third are business impact metrics, which we, we spoke about briefly, uh, so the company can see the success of the program. And then the fourth thing is a customized communication strategy. So that's email, copy, posters, RSVP links, everything to drive engagement to make it really easy for whoever's administering the program to get as many people there and engaged as possible. And what sort of um, uptake do you see within the, the customers that you're working with? Is, is there some hesitancy or some sort of apathy in the employee groups that are part of this program? Or are you generally seeing that people have got a, an appetite for it? I think both. You know, we, we work with such a wide range of clients from startups, which tend to get it right. They tend to be a little bit younger. They tend to have a sense of culture is really important and doing activities together are really important. So, so there's that culture. Then we also work with others like, uh, a lot of our clients are law firms actually. And so at law firms, there could be some that are really open to stuff like this. And there can be others that are a little bit more conservative. Um, you know, for us, it's part of the job is meeting people where they are. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're going into, uh, a health and wellness startup based in Venice, um, they might get this. If you're going into a conservative law firm uh, on Park Avenue, you know, that tends to be a little bit older, maybe more conservative, maybe not even just the individuals, maybe the culture tends to be one where, you know, people show up a certain way. How do you meet them where they are to drive engagement? Yeah, and the the culture piece is interesting and that really is the, the key topic for us today is to talk about why a meditation practice should be part of a corporate culture. So perhaps let's, let's drill into what you perceive the, the benefits are of, of meditation and like how does it positively impact a corporate culture? So uh, I'll 
kind of go one level up in, in answering that question. So when we go into a company, um, I mentioned that the program is called the Stress Management and Mental Wellbeing Program. Um, so it's more than just meditation. So meditation is the through line because that allows people to open up to the experience, to their experience, right? My favorite definition of meditation is the Tibetan word gom, G-O-M, which means to become familiar with. So to become familiar with your thoughts and your habits and your patterns and see, is this serving me? Is this serving my value? Am I acting in a way that's aligned? Am I acting in a way that's in my best interest? Um, and those are very helpful skills and realizations uh, in life, but of course in the workplace where we obviously spend a, a great deal of our waking hours. And so when we go in, um, each month has a different theme. So one month could be peak performance, one could be balance, one could be communication, um, so that you're not just meditating, but you're also using that space that's created through the meditation to learn some of these different skills about relationships or stress management, et cetera. Um, so I think, I think having programs like this are vital to companies' success as we think about um, you know, a world where more and more jobs are going to be taken by uh, machines. What are the jobs that human beings are going to do? What are the things that we're uniquely qualified for? And a lot of that decision-making, uh, a lot of that creativity, at least for the foreseeable future, mm -hmm. are things where if we can think with a clear head and not be reactive and be able to uh, act in a way that, that we can be proud of, that follows our values and our ethics and make good decisions and communicate uh, concisely and compassionately, those things make a huge difference in terms of the success of, of the business. So I think there's obviously a reason why individuals should meditate and happy to talk about that. But I think there's, there's also a big reason why companies should offer this. When you encounter a company that perhaps doesn't have a culture of compassion or, or vulnerability or um, even basic open lines of communication, is that the first hurdle? So you have to actually kind of overcome those cultural sticking points before you can actually see the, the real benefit of the, the practice take hold or the skill change or the, you know, the behavior change take hold. So um, how much of your time do you actually spend coaching leaders about general culture and leadership practices? Yeah, I would say we're fortunate because by the time somebody's signing up to bring it to their whole company, they're either a believer in that they've experienced it themselves or they've read something about it, mm. or they're indifferent and they're like, okay, like HR, you guys know what you're doing. Like, we'll just. <laughs> so if you dropped us into, and especially now in 2020, but in 2019, you know, maybe this was 10 years ago and you dropped us into, you know, a sampling of 20 companies, there'd probably be a big sell to say, what is this weird thing you're doing? Just the same way if it was 20 years ago, you know, and they said, oh, we're going to do yoga classes. People would be, what are you doing? What are you talking about, right? Whereas now, nobody would really think one way or the other of, uh, about it. So I think that um, you have these companies that by the time they're signing up to work with us, they're already, at least at some level, bought into the concept. And how important is it to the adoption of the practice that you have the senior leaders practicing um, and living by um, the programs that they're endorsing? I think it's very helpful if you can get that. I, I think it's a very nice to have, but I don't think it's a must have. Mm -hmm. um, 
And the reason I say that is because there can be some really powerful grassroots movements uh, in companies or in society more broadly. Um, so you can have a situation where it's an employee-run program or it's a program that, that we come in and we do. And, you know, there's two, three, four, ten champions who go and tell other people. And the next thing you know, you have 25 people and 50 people and 100 people. And, of course, if you can get senior buy-in, that makes a huge difference, especially when it comes to permission. That's mm -hmm. actually one of the biggest things is um, it's not getting them to participate is very helpful, but you also don't want it to be where the boss comes over and they're like, oh, where were you? Oh, I was, I was meditating. And the next thing you're not going to go meditate because you don't want to be asked where you were or, or something like that. Um, so those things can be, uh, creating a space where people feel permission to be able to step out and do things like this. That makes a big difference also. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And meditation is obviously quite a personal experience and it is a personal choice. And perhaps if the CEO is just someone who frankly doesn't have the time for it or, or doesn't believe in it, um, that shouldn't stop others around him and he or she should have the um, the foresight and the respect to allow people to practice in that way if they choose. Yeah. I think you're fortunate in that you have picked something that by the time you go into those organizations, they're already open to this way of viewing the world and you will probably encounter very little resistance in, in terms of the core group that you're working with. So how do you, you help um, if, if there is a leader or, or somebody else that, that, you know, might be in some sort of management position listening to the show. How do you help people implement this in organizations? So what would be the key requirements to be in place for you to come in and be successful with something like this in the workplace? We take a lot of the responsibility on our side. So we have a customer success manager and her role is to work with uh, the organization to get things set up. And that's everything from figuring out if we're doing live classes on site, time of day, office location, uh, day of the week. You know, there's some sort of common sense things. Like if every Monday you have a three-hour meeting, that's probably not the best day to add on another meditation thing because people are already, you know, another, or really anything, because people are already so involved in those meetings. Um, also, if, you know, people come in normally at 10 a.m., you don't want to schedule this at 9.30 because people don't want to wake up early to come in for this or stay late. So how do you find that right spot during the day? Also, location makes a difference. How far away is it, et cetera. So there's things like that. There's also, um, how do we share it? So email, posters, what can we do to, to, for awareness? Because so often these things, as, as you can imagine with, with lots of HR-driven programs, can just be, you know, it's kind of in one ear, out the other. Mm -hmm. How do we make sure we're, we're sharing it with people and then also doing so in a way that, that really meets them where they are? I mentioned that before. Um, like the images that you would have on a poster that would be at Nike would be different than uh, a law firm, which would be different than Harlem Children's Zone, um, you know, all clients of ours. So how do we think about that so that people can see themselves in it? Also the teacher, making sure that you're selecting a teacher that knows that world and comes from that community. So uh, a teacher that might teach for us at Carnegie Hall, might be very different from the hospital for special surgery, which might be very different from Google, just to throw out a few more examples. Yeah. So um, 
yeah, there's a whole bunch of factors that we take into account. And now having done this for almost five years, um, in lots of different cities and lots of different uh, companies, we feel like we have a, a pretty good feel for what's going to work. We've talked at the corporate level, we've talked at the leadership level, but perhaps let's switch to the individual level. And basically, from my own perspective, I've attempted to build a meditation practice for many years and have been more successful some years than others. But I know how hard it is with everything else you've got going on in your day with your work requirements, family requirements, other things happening in, in your life. It can be hard to carve out that time. But perhaps I would ask you for your best tip for an individual to integrate this practice into their day-to-day because after all individuals come together to create teams to create companies to create societies so I, I believe if we start at the individual and we can each of us start in some way to adopt a meditation practice I do believe that it, it would be healthy for all of us so how does one as an individual actually get started yeah well what, one of my favorite pieces of uh advice or, or wisdom is know thyself, you know, and, and what might be right for me might be wrong for you and might not be right for your husband or my girlfriend, right? So it's finding what, what works best for you. So uh, for me, I meditate first thing in the morning. So I wake up, I go to the bathroom, I put on some clothes, and then I meditate. That works for me. Now, some people say, oh, I'm so tired in the morning. I can't work. Great. Does work for you in the morning? Great. Some people are night owls. You know, some people do their most creative work at night. Some people right after lunch would find, uh, you know, a lot of energy. Other people right after lunch would fall asleep, right? So if I was going to make one recommendation, all things being equal, I would say the morning is a really beautiful time. A few reasons why. One is your mornings tend to follow a similar routine more so than your afternoons, your evenings, right? You're usually waking up in the same place, brushing your teeth, having some type of routine. So if you can fit it in there, it's easier to develop a habit versus, you know, today, like I haven't eaten lunch yet. It's 2.30. So today I'm eating lunch. It'll be three o'clock. So if I meditated after lunch, then it would be off today versus yesterday, lunch at noon and tomorrow. So the, the one thing is tie it to a habit. That's important. If you can do it in the morning, that's great. But I have other friends who do it at night and that works. That works as well. You know, I would, I would think of it similar to exercise. If I, met, if I go to the gym in the morning, you go to the gym in the middle of the afternoon, and a friend of ours goes to the gym in the evening, what's the difference? As long as they're doing it consistently, that's the most important thing. And, and on that same note, consistency over intensity. So doing it you know, every day for a little bit of time is better than not doing it at all for a week and then doing uh, you know, some, some larger period of time. Mm-hmm. If we think about meditation as a ritual how do we create this sort of space where it becomes this the special experience rather than just something else you've got to get done for the day so at least for myself i feel like that would make it more attractive for me to want to spend the time that way so are there any sort of mechanisms or tips that you can offer from that perspective sure yeah i think this goes into the the know thyself um sort of bucket right like for some people having a ritual makes a big difference, right? So I have friends, and in fact, some of our teachers, they wake up, they light candles, they have their certain spot in their apartment, like that's their spot. That's where they go and sit. It's beautiful, maybe they light incense, maybe they have a little spray or a candle, great. For other people, eh, I don't wanna be bothered. I wanna wake up, 
I want to do my thing or I want to do it after work or I want to do it while I'm on the subway. You know, I think again, I'll say the same thing with, with working out. Like my girlfriend will get dressed and she has all these cool yoga outfits and she'll go to soul cycle. Me, I go down, I go to the gym in my building, I do my thing and I'm done. You know, so I think knowing thyself, there's lots of ways to make it a, a really beautiful experience. Um, and I would say to your question, I had a friend who was telling me how he, he had done something like every day for a year on one particular app. And he said it, it, he felt so chained to it because he didn't want to break the streak. You know, and I was interviewing somebody for a, a marketing job here a few years ago. And they said, oh, I've done, you know, hundred and something days in a row. How many days in a row have you done? I, said, well, I don't know. I have no idea. You know, I, I don't keep track of that. Probably similar to how, you know, LeBron James probably doesn't keep track of how many days, you know, he's played basketball in a row. He probably just, the days his body's telling him to play, he plays. The days he takes off, he takes off. And that's not to say that there isn't a certain amount of discipline and hard work that goes into it, but it's not being so, so rigid and tight with it. So I think mm. it shouldn't feel like this is something I have to do. Um, it should be, this is something I, I get to do. And of course, inspiration wanes, you know, some days it's, oh, I got to drag myself to the gym or oh, I have to drag myself to the cushion, but just doing it, doing it consistently, it makes a difference. Yeah. And I'm sure that when you start to see the benefits of it, then the practice starts to deliver something back to you. So you see the change that it's bringing into your life. And that often that positive reinforcement is often what makes us keep doing something or want to have a practice or keep up with your, your exercise as you were talking about physical fitness versus the mental fitness piece. Um, but interesting that you say, know thyself, because I, I think that same advice can actually apply to organizations mm. when they're thinking about what needs to change in their culture or what in their culture would actually be supportive of a, a meditation practice or a wellness practice if we wanted to make it broader than just the meditation piece because uh, you had earlier spoken about it's the mental well-being of which meditation is one practice right um, but i think that oftentimes organizations think that this is the the next latest and greatest thing and they implement it but they don't actually know themselves well enough and that leads to the the program or whatever the initiative is failing, right? What are your thoughts on the, the companies that you work with? Do you think that they have a good sense of who they are going into this and that is why they are successful with it? Or is it something else that's that no, I would say, going I, on I think there? You're, no, I think you're exactly right. I think for the most part, um, the companies that we work with have a, a decent sense of who they are and the, the changes they're looking to make. And there are some who see an article on meditation or accountability or vulnerability or, you know, whatever the buzzword is of the, the moment or the year and say, oh, we got to do this and jump around. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes clients will come to us and say, oh, can you come in and do one class? And we'll say, um, mm, we don't really do that. You know, we do programs. Why? Because it's like going to the gym once. It's like, it doesn't really help. If you go every day, if you go multiple times a week, over a significant period of time can make a difference. If it's just, we're going to go once, let's not waste any time. 
Yeah, fair point. So before we wrap up, um, which um, we unfortunately will have to do in a, a couple minutes here, but I'd love to hear more about your app. What's what's going on there? What do you what what are you doing there? And is it an, an app limited to companies, or is it something that anybody could use? Anybody, yeah, it's open to the public. It's uh, it's in the App Store. It's called Journey Live. It's the first live group meditation app. So live classes, live teachers, you can interact, you can ask a question. Um, you could see the teacher. So you can see what they're wearing, how they carry themselves. Um, they of course can't see you, but you can ask questions via text. You can write in questions. They can speak to it. There's community members. Um, the idea was to replicate what happens offline, online, to be able to say for thousands of years, people meditated in groups with a live teacher with fellow meditators. And for the last five years, it's something we do by ourselves on our phone. And so uh, we said, how can we recreate that? And, uh, and we, we were able to, and, and people love it. People are really obsessed with it in a, in a beautiful way. You know, um, they have their teacher, they have their time. That also helps in terms of the habit formation part is the class is taking place at 8 a.m. or at 10 p.m. Now we also have video on demand because there are those times when you can't make that class or there's a convenience thing or it's you know, 2.36 p.m. as it is here in New York at this moment, I wanna meditate now. But that being said, the forcing function of there's a live class happening at three o'clock with my teacher, with other community members. Um, we found that people really show up for that. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I'm looking forward to checking it out. I'm always looking for new ways to try and see what sticks with my practice because I, I really do struggle with it, but I have seen the benefits of it. And I, I do know that it is, is part of a healthy overall makeup that we need to tend to our minds as well as our physical well-being so yeah absolutely thank you for bringing that to the world so before we wrap up is there, is there any last uh, word of wisdom or inspiration that you'd like to leave with us around meditation i think just get started you know it, it's it's as simple as just uh just giving it a go um there's lots of great apps out there obviously i'm, I'm a little bit biased to to our <laughs> own but uh there's books there's podcasts there's so many ways to get started and you know for me as a uh, a stressed out, you know, hard charging New Yorker. Um, it, it really transformed my life in so many ways, subtle, but significant. So I would encourage anyone when the time's right, give it a try. Yeah, that's great advice. And I, I think for our listeners, if everyone could start as an individual and see what the impact is on their lives, then that creates this upswell of change, which uh, we know can be quite impactful. So Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. And if anybody wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way to get hold of you? Email is great. I'm at Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N at journeymeditation.com. I think my social media manager would kill me if I didn't say that I'm also on Instagram and LinkedIn and Facebook and all this other stuff, but I'm, I'm old school. So email works for me. Cool. And I will uh, share those social media links for you with the episode so that people don't have to go digging around. It'll be right there so they can find you in all sorts of different modalities. And um, hopefully they'll find uh, and experience your app, which is Journey Live. And uh, thank you so much for doing what you're doing and for helping us find our way through what is a very complicated action, but actually starts off being very simple. So Thanks for your time. And uh, I hope to see you in New York. And if you're ever in Vancouver, please come say hi. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Thanks. Beth. Okay, take, take care, care. Stephen. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of People at Work. It would mean a lot to us if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. The more reviews we get, the more people discover the podcast. Also, don't forget to subscribe to ensure that you don't miss an episode. 
You can do this wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can reach me at bev at jostle.me or find me on LinkedIn. Until next time, take care. Thank you.